morning. Uh, Ken said uh, that our church was used to propagate the gospel in Scotland. Well, unfortunately, it's propagating. We're used in some small way to propagate the gospel in Scotland once again, because Scotland, you know, was a land of the book. It was a land where God's people loved His Word and were used of God to take the gospel uh, to the nations uh, in the 18th, 19th centuries. Well, it's a joy to be here this morning. I've been reassured that even though I'm a simple, humble guy, uh, you will think I'm intelligent because of my accent. So... (laughs) I can get away with heresy. Uh, no one will understand it, so it's okay. Uh, Ken, I'm sure you were encouraging me to preach uh, Revelation 20 because you can just let me deal with that, and then you can just apologize afterwards, and that's it. You've moved on. Well, turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I was praying and seeking the Lord where He would have me preach this morning. What word could I bring? that would be beneficial and encouraging, that would be edifying to you in, I think this is Buford, isn't it? Buford, Georgia. I had no idea what the state of the church is in Buford, Georgia. Well, as I was praying, uh, the Lord brought me to this passage, and there are some lessons that Paul gives to the church in Corinth that is a lesson for us that we've been wrestling with in Scotland. Um, I think on the screen there's going to be some statistics, but Scotland is a land who was once the land of the book. And before I uh, make a mess of the statistics, every year at the moment, 120 churches are closing. It's a land of 5 million people in total. 1,800 churches closed in the last 15 to 20 years. And in order for us to even regain where we were 20 years or so ago, we would need to see 7,000 churches planted Do you know why that is? Because Scotland is the fastest secularizing nation in Europe. It is now well below 2% evangelical. And as we've wrestled with that as a a, a Bible-believing, gospel-centered church, we've looked around at culture and society, and we've been coming to this realization that there are some pitfalls that the church fell into as this wave of secularism came through Europe that we see Paul warning against here in 2 Corinthians 4. God is sovereign in salvation. The church forgot that. We are demanded to be people of integrity when we handle the Word. We have to have gospel integrity. The church have forgotten that in Scotland. But equally, we're called to be a creative people who engage with culture and listen to culture and, and minister the gospel in a way that people can hear and understand, and the church in Scotland have forgotten that. And so this morning, my prayer is that as we look in 2 Corinthians 4, the Lord would encourage you in your context, in your culture, that you know uh, how to avoid some of these pitfalls as the wave of secularism surely comes here to the United States. Let me read the passage. Let me pray for God's help, and then let's dig in together. Paul says here in chapter 4, verse 1, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's Word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. 
And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for this incredible supernatural moment here where we, your people, come and gather as the called out ones, the church, and we come and we sit under your word, the authority of your word, the revelation of your word. And as your spirit moves in my heart and mouth in this moment, as I am used of you to speak your word, and as your spirit moves in the hearts of your people who hear your word, Lord, I pray that we would be, um, that we would be in awe afresh this morning at that reality, that this right now is a, a supernatural moment where you speak and minister your gospel to our hearts. So, Lord, undertake for us, please, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Paul says, therefore, having this ministry, I just want to set us in context here. Really, this is evangelism that we're looking at. Um, and let me just take the time note, because I, I can be prone to go too long. So, when I see people falling asleep, I'll, I'll, I'll quick up. What we're really talking about is Paul's talking about evangelism. You angelion, you, I'm sure you know these things. The, the gospel to announce, declare, to bring good news. And we've heard that in our singing, in our praying this morning. It's this delivering of this message that Jesus Christ alone is not just God in flesh, but God who came to rescue a fallen, wayward people who died and rose on the third day, victorious over death, inaugurating a new creation, a new people. But we are called to take this gospel, this evangelism. Do you see that little word angel tucked in to evangelism? We're called to be angels. We're called to be messengers of the gospel who come and bear good news. I watched a documentary on YouTube recently. Um, I don't know if any of you have seen it. It's called Sheep Among Wolves. Um, if you haven't seen it, please go and watch it. It's about the underground church in Iran. Uh, as ISIS was sweeping through the Middle East, the 1040 window, there were missionaries there and, and gospel believers there. And as ISIS swept through, and they, were, they came under death, um, persecution, and, re, and refused to renounce Christ, in this documentary, there were you know, blurred faces and distorted voices to conceal their identity. But there was a quote in there that struck me. And, and this lady said, it's like the church in the West are under some kind of satanic lullaby as they just live life and enjoy the benefits of this world. We're called not to be that kind of people. We're called to be messengers Yes, enjoy the goodness that God has given you here in the United States, but we're called to have a, a message on our lips, and that involves, surely, the sacrifice. 
But here is this ministry. Therefore, having this ministry of evangelism by the mercy of God. Paul is referring to chapter 3 in 2 Corinthians. He's referring to this ministry that he compares with the ministry of Moses, the ministry of the law. You remember Exodus 19, Moses is there getting taken up the mountain there at Mount Sinai. Clouds and thunder and lightning, this glorious appearing theophany of God there. And Moses is called up, and, and God speaks to him and gives him the law. And when Moses comes, you remember he had to have veiled face because his face shone because he'd been in God's presence. Well, here Paul is saying that we have a different kind of ministry. In chapter 3, he, he calls it a far more glorious ministry. He says it's a ministry that brings life. If you look in just briefly, chapter 3, verse 1 to 6, Paul says that we commend ourselves because we shared the gospel with you and and you are written on our hearts, he says. This ministry of the gospel is a ministry that brings life in the hearts of the hearer. Is it wrong for Paul to call the old ministry of the covenant of the law, is it, is it wrong for him to call it a ministry of death? He calls that here in chapter 3. No. In Romans 7, 5, uh, Paul says, the sinful passions were aroused by the law, and they were at work in the members to bear fruit to death. You see, this is what the ministry of the law of Moses did. But it's now no longer the law that we minister, it's the gospel. The law that ministered bringing crushing failure and defeat. But the Spirit through Christ, Paul says, and His gospel brings liberating life. It's interesting that he says here in chapter 3 in these first few verses about them being written on his heart this relationship that you have with those that you share the gospel with. I was reading recently a, a, an article about, uh, it was for Women's Day, I think International Women's Day, and they were talking about childbearing and how a mother that has a, a, an unborn child in her womb, the blood flow between the unborn child and the mother through the placenta, there's something called microchimerism. I don't know if anyone's ever heard of this where DNA is passed, obviously, from the mother through cells to the unborn child, but it goes back the way too. The mother receives DNA and cells from the unborn child and are retained in her body, even after she's given birth. Something of this little life inside her imprints in her and on her. Microchimerism, meaning chimera, this mythical creature, that is made up from parts of lots of different animals. It's genuinely a thing. And so for us in the gospel, this ministry of life, as we share Christ with people, something of their spiritual life that comes to be imprints on us. It's not just that I shared the gospel, they said they believed, and I never saw them again. Sometimes that's the case. But we're called to live life with them, to invest in them, to receive something from them as we grow together in Christ's likeness. But this is the ministry, a ministry that brings life. It's also, Paul says, a ministry that brings glory. Paul uh, is talking about how Moses came down from the mountain and his face shone. But he's saying this ministry, the ministry that you, brothers and sisters here in Buford have, this is a ministry that is more glorious than the ministry of Moses. What does Paul say? He says this, since we have such a hope, 
We are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. He says, Moses brought in this glorious ministry of the law, God covenanting with a people. But we who know Jesus, we have a much more glorious ministry. Do you know it? Do you know this ministry of the gospel that you are to proclaim? Poole, a famous theologian, writes this, and although the gospel came into the world, not as with the law, with thunder, lightning, and earthquakes, the gospel was ushered in by angels, foretelling the birth and office of John the Baptist and of Christ, by the great sign of the virgin conceiving and bringing forth a son, by a voice from heaven, proclaiming Christ as the Father's only begotten Son in whom He was well pleased. This is the ministry that we have, and it is a ministry that transforms us. Paul says in chapter 3, 16, he says this, but when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. When one turns to the Lord and responds to the gospel, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled faces beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree to another. Friends, if you profess Christ as Lord, has your life been transformed? Can you ask someone in your family or a friend if you're different to how you were a year ago or five years ago or some of you even decades ago? Are you being transformed in Christ's likeness as you spend time with Jesus and with His people. This is the ministry. And I have to ask the question, first of all, as we launch into the text that I'm preaching from, do you know this ministry? Because all that I'm going to speak on is about those who are His, who have been ministered to with the gospel, who have, who have responded in faith, have been born again of His Spirit, have experienced and known what it is to be set free from the penalty of sin and death? Only you can answer that question this morning. Let's turn together to the passage. Thomas Watson says this, until sin be bitter, Christ won't be sweet. Isn't that a good one? Until sin be bitter, Christ won't be sweet. You can turn it the other way. Until Christ is sweet to you, your sin will not be bitter and you won't want to deal with it. Friends, we need to get right with Jesus. We need to get back in intimate relationship with Him. So let's turn and listen to what Paul's saying. Therefore, having all of this ministry that we've talked about, we do not lose heart. God's sovereignty in salvation. We need to remember this this is my first reminder for you this morning. God is sovereign in salvation. Let me just say this little phrase that I'll expand on here this morning. Remember, you are a sinner who has come before the Savior in humble repentance and faith and has been by God's mercy given this ministry of the new covenant of grace. God has given you it. Paul says, we don't lose heart. We've renounced all of these underhanded ways. But he says here, 
It is God. Look at the end there, verse 6. God who said, let light shine out of darkness and has shone into our hearts. By the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. Friends, why do we find evangelism difficult? Why do we find sharing Jesus with people difficult? In Scotland, and I don't know how the context is here in America, but in Scotland, it's difficult because virtually nobody you're ever going to meet on the street really hardly knows anything about Jesus. They've never been to church unless they're really older. They really have no idea. And so when you start to talk about Jesus, you start to talk about God taking on flesh, being born of a virgin. You, you start to talk about Jesus dying and then rising again from the dead. These are crazy concepts. I mean, actually, if you just stop and think about it, these are crazy concepts for a secular mind. In Scotland, it's difficult in evangelism because people think we're crazy, and so we fear rejection. I don't know how it is here in Georgia, but for us, we fear rejection. We fear perhaps not having the right answers. What if they ask me a question, and I don't know the answer to that, and then I look a fool? I don't know how it works for you, but we also worry about perhaps failing to convince them of the reality of Jesus and who He is. And in failing to convince them, we fear that they go away then thinking, these Christians are crazy, and I never want to have a conversation with one ever again. You know what I mean? We come away thinking, I have single-handedly ruined that person's chance of ever coming to saving faith. It's true. So oftentimes in Scotland, and the reason the church is in the state it's in is people have just avoided having these conversations. We've rested on our laurels. We've rested on the gospel dividend of the 19th century. It's fine. People understand. They know. It's fine. It's not. We're called to bear witness. But we have to also recognize that it is God that does the work of salvation. It's God that stirs the heart. But there's also the reality that Satan is at work. Verse 4, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. Evangelism is difficult because we're speaking about the most precious person in the universe, but people can't see him. I think there's a picture on the screen here. When we were in Romania, we, we had a camp ministry up on a, a remote hill in the middle of nowhere, no lights around, no street lights, nothing like that. And on a night, I don't know if you get this in Georgia, but on a night, we had the most incredible sun, uh, starscape in the sky. Do you get good starry nights here in Georgia? Incredible stars everywhere. We could see the International Space Station flying over. But do you know what I see in the morning when the sun comes out? All you see is blue sky. So the question is, are the stars gone or can you just not see them? They're still there. You just can't see them. And no matter how hard you look, you can't see the stars behind the blue sky. As the light is refracted and scattered through the air molecules up in the upper atmosphere, all we see is blue sky. Friends, as you're sharing Christ with people, you have to recognize not only is God sovereign in helping them to see, if He so chooses, but Satan is at work in blinding their eyes. They can't see it. You can be saying, look at the stars. And they're saying, I only see blue sky. What are you talking about? 
Do you understand? So if you come away after a gospel encounter with someone and they're like, this guy is crazy. I don't want to ever speak with him again. Don't worry. All they could see was blue sky. You are not crazy. But verse 3, Paul says, if it's veiled, our gospel is veiled to those who are perishing. It's those who are perishing that are unable to see. So how do we break through that? How do we break through to help them to see? Well, it's God's doing. Verse 6, the God who said, let there be light, has shone into the hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus. It is only God who can do this. You may be the most gifted evangelist in the United States. You might be Billy Graham 2.0. It doesn't matter. It does not matter. God uses feeble means, probably more than He uses what seems like on the outward gifted means. It's Him that does the unveiling. But we have to recognize Satan's at work. So how does Satan work? How does Satan work to blind the eyes? Satan works in philosophy. We have this a lot in Scotland, okay? I don't know what the state is in culture here, but Satan works a lot in philosophy. Paul knew it all too well. When Paul wrote to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians, he says this, he says, when I came to you, brothers, I did not come to you uh, proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in a demonstration of the Spirit and the power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Friends, we have to be alert, but we have to recognize God uses all of us all of us. You might have a college degree in Scripture or theology or whatever, but God can use you or He can use the next guy. In Scotland, we have uh, the whole postmodernism, the whole, the whole post-enlightenment sort of relative truth thing going on. I, I think you're getting that here. Um, so, as the country is secularized, what we see all over the place is my truth is true. It might be in complete opposition to your truth, but that's okay. Yours is true. Yours is true too. You know, the whole gender identity is a big issue for us in Scotland. In fact, my kids are in public school and the Scottish government just passed a law. Why wouldn't they? This is who they are. The whole country is like this, but they just passed a law that if my children, even as young as five, if they had been, wanted to change gender with a word, they would embrace that in the school and they don't even need to tell me at home. I might find out a year later and not have even known about it. That's the way our culture is. But it's interesting to me that Satan is at work in that philosophy. This whole concept of I can just say a word and change my gender, that's God's job. God said a word, didn't he? And light shone. God said a word and ex nihilo, out of nothing, he created everything. God's the one that can produce results by a word, not us. But this is the same philosophy Satan's spoken from the beginning. You can be God. You can be like God. You can take your life into your hands and be in control of it. But God is the one who's in control. Satan equally is at work in distortion. He distorts the reality. In Scotland, he's been distorting for some time the essence of what the gospel is. 
It's no longer, I'm a sinner saved by grace for an eternal life with Christ in glory from eternity separated from God in hell. The Christian message now in Scotland, if anyone was to try and articulate it, would be, oh, I'm a good person, and because I'm good, God likes me, and as long as the good outweighs the bad, I'm going to be okay. Hell? No, we don't talk about that. There's no place like that. God is love, isn't He? This is the philosophy that Satan has been breeding in the church for a long, long time. We need to remember what Jonathan Edwards once said, you contribute nothing to your salvation except the sin that made it necessary. Isn't that good? You contribute nothing to your salvation except the sin that made it necessary. You see, all false religions include this concept of earning God's favor. Um, But the Bible is different. You see, the Bible is not about good people that we should copy, okay? The Bible is about bad people to whom God was good. And we need to remember that. When we when we teach our children, when we share the gospel, we don't share good people in the Scriptures that look how good Paul was. Let's be like Paul or Daniel. Let's be like Daniel. No, these are all pictures of Christ and how He was good to us by God's grace. Friends, we need to remember that God is sovereign in all of this. You see, both these verses, 4 and 6, are about glory. Paul had just been preaching in 3 about glory. Verse 4, Satan doesn't want people to see the glory of Christ. Verse 6, God illuminates eyes and regenerates hearts so that unbelievers can see the glory of Christ in the face, uh, glory of God in the face of Christ. Sometimes we get the idea that what we're doing right now in church is about reaching the lost and evangelism, but it's not primarily. What we're doing right now is we, in the main, I'm presuming, are born again of God's Spirit. We are the church that's called out, and we gather together to revel in and exhibit the glory of Christ. We've done that in our singing. We've done that in our praying. We're doing that in our preaching. That's what we're doing. We gather like this. And if you look around the room, look look around the room. I don't know about you guys, but I often do this at home. Look, Look around the room. In what other context would you ever sit with these people? (laughs) No? In what other context would you spend time with them at a prime time at the end of the week? You wouldn't. The only reason we are here and doing this is because God has saved us and transformed us and given us a sincere, affectionate love for one another. That's why. And by doing this, what we do as the church, the, the, the ecclesia, By doing this, God draws in the lost. They see it, and they marvel, because this is what the church is. You see, the truth that Paul wants you to know this morning, church, is that God is sovereign in the work of salvation, and there are two comfort and practical outworkings to this. One, when we recognize that God is sovereign, we will rely on God and not ourselves. We'll rely on God beforehand and during our times of evangelism. Why? Because the power lies with Him. You see, the the doctrine of the sovereignty of God is not some ethereal sort of like theological concept that only people that go to seminary learn. This is a comfort and reality for all of us. 
Amen. God is sovereign. I don't have to make it happen. I just need to do the bit that He's asked me to do, which is to be faithful, which is to share and bear witness when He gives me opportunities, and to pray and trust that He'll do whatever He will do. Secondly, when we recognize and remember that God is sovereign, we will rest in God. We will rest in God for the outcome of our efforts. Why? Because the fruit of our efforts are up to Him. Okay? The fruit of our efforts are up to Him. Who is adequate for this task? I'm certainly not. Look at verse 7. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Friends, you're probably, in fact, I know for certain, you're just like me. You're just a jar of clay that's easily broken, yeah, that's pretty unattractive, that's made from dirt, that's worthless otherwise. Yet inside of you, if you know Jesus, is the most precious truth in the world, the gospel, that Jesus came in the flesh, God incarnate, and He has inaugurated a new people. He has rescued a people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And that we together, if we die on this earth, are going to one day be with Him, or He may return somehow. Ken, you can clear that one up. <laughs> He's going to return, and we're going to be with Him forever. Let me just nail it like this. Our evangelism encounters should, make, should, leave, should not leave us looking good. Okay? It should make God looking glorious. Okay? If you come away from your encounters where you share Jesus with people or talk about church or talk about whatever, it should not be leaving you coming away thinking, I did a great job there. That totally landed. All right? You should come away just like, I totally failed in that. I, I have no idea what happened there. But I certainly said and showed that God was glorious. Amen. First Corinthians 2, 1 to 5. Paul says, um, he says, and when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech. I decided to know nothing. Why? He said, I was with you in weakness and fear and trembling. It's okay to be afraid as you share Jesus with people. It's okay to tremble and stumble on your words and get it all mixed up, okay? Because what people see is somebody who's sincere. What they see is somebody who really doesn't know how to do it very well, but is desperately trying to convey something true to them. Let me encourage you in that. Let's turn to the second part here, the second reminder, gospel integrity. You see, the church in Scotland had forgotten that God is sovereign. They've really just tried to take it on board themselves, but they've more likely, they've twisted the gospel. Look at gospel integrity. Let me just reword that first statement Remember, you are a sinner who has come before the Savior in humble repentance and faith, and has by God's mercy been given this ministry of the new covenant of grace, but is reminded that it is God's sovereignty and power that brings results. But also, we're called to have integrity. What does gospel integrity look like? Verse 4, the blinding. Verse 6, the unblinding, is linked by, remarkably, verse 5, right in the middle. Okay, verse 4 and verse 6 are linked by verse 5. And in verse 5, what we see is Satan has blinded, God has shone, and in verse 5, we're called to proclaim. 
We're called to proclaim. Now, many of you might be sitting there thinking, well, I'm not a preacher. I'm not going to be up the front preaching, proclaiming the gospel. Preaching is certainly one way that I'm doing right now. But you can be in your small group. Uh, do you call them base groups? You can be in your base group. You can be in a one-to-one Bible study and be proclaiming the Word. But more than anything, I want to encourage you in this. This is a big lesson that we've learned in Scotland. More than anything, we're called to relationally evangelize. Sounds scary. Do you know what it means? It means being a good neighbor. It means knowing people that live in your area. It means, I mean, you guys do crazy stuff that we don't do. Like Ken, Ken has breakfast once a month with all the guys in his street. I think that's fantastic. Um, I think my neighbors would think I was trying to get something out of them or whatever. But, <laughs> but it means knowing your neighbors. It means knowing people, okay? And by doing that, you share your life with them. And if you're a Christian, your life is saturated with who Jesus is, what He has done in you, and how that's working out as He sanctifies you. But Paul tells us how to do this. He says in verse 1, we have renounced disgraceful, verse 2, sorry, we have renounced the disgraceful underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's Word. You see, we have renounced disgraceful underhanded ways. Some evangelists are great communicators, huge personalities that can draw a massive crowd and maybe even get people to raise their hands at the end or pray a prayer. But that doesn't mean that they've shared the gospel and that by God's grace, somebody has gone from death to life. Okay? Don't idolize the evangelists, the big televangelist guys. Recognize that you also can do this. They work up the emotions. They get the hands raised. They get someone to pray a particular prayer. But friends, we need to engage the mind because God regenerates the heart. Romans 10, 5 to 17, Paul says, For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven or who will descend into the abyss. But what does it say? It says the word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with one heart, one believes and is justified. And with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of them all bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How will they call? How will they call on him who they have not believed? How are they to believe in him who they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone proclaiming? How are they to proclaim unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Friends, all you are called to do is have integrity with the gospel. Just share who he is, who you know him to be, and that's it. 
Live it out. Don't tamper with God's Word, Paul says. We don't amplify some bits that sound nice and easy to hear. We don't minimize other bits that are hard to swallow. We just share Christ and His Word. We, in our words and deeds, we preach the whole counsel of God. I love that you guys are faithful to the Word and preach expositionally. You, you preach through a book of the Bible. I love that you're challenging yourselves with Revelation. Okay? There's lots in there that's really hard. Really, really hard. Um, recently, we've finished up a, a series in Luke 23, uh, Luke, the Gospel of Luke. And I was preaching Luke 23 where um, it talks about Gehenna and the, the valley of Shinom outside um, where the dead are buried. And I was really preaching on death and hell and Hades and all that lovely stuff. And uh, we have a church cafe that's like a, an evangelism outreach area. And um, a lady was in there, and it was really funny. I was sitting doing some work on my computer by the, the counter where people pay. And she turned around and she said, oh, I've seen you on the telly. <laughs> and I'm like, really? I don't think so. Turns out she'd had YouTube on the telly and tuned into our little church service. She says, I watched some of it. She says, but I'll be honest with you. She says, uh, I turned it off. And I said, oh, okay. Why, why was that, you know? waiting for her to say, your preaching was terrible, it was monotone, it was… She said, no, no, you were preaching about God's love, and it was great. She says, but then you started preaching about hell and about death, and she says, I just didn't want to hear that. She says, I just don't like that at all, so I turned it off. And I said, well, I'm sorry. I says, but the reality is hell awaits all who, who have not trusted in Jesus, because when He returns, and on that day of judgment, they're going to be asked, how are you going to pay for your sin? And they're going to say, um, I, I don't know. And if it isn't Christ that's paying for it, the penalty is death. Amen. Friends, we don't tamper with God's Word. We don't say, that's fine. Just, just come along and listen to the bits about love. Don't worry about that. We don't. Until sin be bitter, Christ won't be sweet. Amen. Lastly, by the open statement of the truth. Friends, we're just called to simply proclaim. But I want to caution you on that. You can't repeat what you don't know, okay? Have you ever tried to retell a story, but you couldn't quite remember it all, and it just gets in a total mess, yeah? Or a joke. Have you ever tried to tell a joke, but you couldn't quite remember it, and it really doesn't land, and everyone's like, what on earth was that about, you know? <laughs> Well, in your gospel encounters, as you share Jesus and His gospel with people, you can't recount and retell what you don't know. If you are not in the Word, the Word is not going to be on your lips, and it's going to sound like you're just telling a story, okay? And in a secular Scotland, let me assure you, if people sense that you're just telling a story and it's coming from you, they're not interested, because it involves sacrifice, and they do not want to pay the price for that. So, if you're not saying, this is what God says, God said here, this is what Jesus did, and I know that because it's written here, then I'm afraid people are not going to be interested in what you have to say. So, friends, let me caution you. Paul says, by the open statement of the truth, you need to know the truth to state it, okay? Lastly, We've got God's sovereignty. We've got our gospel integrity. 
And also, there's the reality that we're called to have some creativity in this. How do I know this from the text? Let me just remind us from that phrase. So remember, you are a sinner saved by grace, who's come before a Savior in humble repentance and faith. By God's mercy, you've been given a ministry of this new covenant, and you've been reminded that God is sovereign, and by His power, you see results. And by engaging with the truth, you can see God do amazing things but it involves creativity too. Paul says, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but it's Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Paul is saying here that he is not proclaiming himself or some story or whatever. He's proclaiming Christ and himself serving them. Now, what Paul is referring to is, if you turn to 1 Corinthians 9, what does Paul say in his previous letter? Because he talks about serving people with the gospel. He says in 1 Corinthians 9, he says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as though one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law... Um, to those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, though not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some, and I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I might share with them in its blessings. Friends, what Paul is saying here is he's saying we need to be creative in how we engage with people. I love that you guys have all sorts of ethnicities and cultures and people here. In Scotland, it's very monolithic. White Scottish, that's it. Maybe in Edinburgh, you'll find some other nationalities. But by and by, that's all you're going to get. Not very inspiring, not very exciting, okay? But what we see here and what we'll see in heaven is people from every tribe, tongue, and nation gathered. It's not just going to be white Caucasian people in heaven. Far, far, far from it. But how do we reach people from different backgrounds, from different cultures, from different ethnicities, from different worldviews and mindsets? Paul is saying you need to get to know them, and you need to be among them. Paul is saying in verse 5 that knowing and proclaiming the truth faithfully in a vacuum isn't enough. You need to build bridges to reach people. In our church, we uh, opened a cafe called The Bridge, and it's in the mall, connected to our church. It's a really unusual situation. We live in a place called, uh, well, the county is called the Kingdom of Fife, right, which is a gift to us. It's called the Kingdom. So we live in the Kingdom of Fife, and we want to bridge the Kingdom of Fife to the Kingdom of God through Jesus Christ. So we opened up this cafe with the bridge in mind, the ethos behind it. And the idea is that if people can come from the community onto the bridge, and if we can serve them in the bridge, and if we can get to know them and build friendships and relationships and hear about their life and their struggles and, and share Christ with them, that maybe God would do something. And He has. By His grace, He's done remarkable things. But you need to find ways to rub shoulders with people. You need to find ways to get to know people. You need to find ways for them to get to know you. 
Now, Ken, you can not invite me ever again to preach here, okay? And maybe culturally this will not land very well, but in Scotland, we have to go and be in the pubs. We have to go and spend time in the places where church people never go and spend time because they are not coming to us. They will not come to us. And at the moment in, in, in America, from what I've observed, you have a gospel dividend that you're living on here. Generally, people are open to big outreach events, or generally people are open to things that you are going to put on, and they'll come, and you'll get to know them, and they might find a home here. But that's going to, that's going to ebb away. That's going to stop in the years to come. And you're going to have to find ways not to get them back. You're going to have to find ways to go and be with them. What Paul is saying here is that we proclaim Christ. We find ways to serve them. Francis Schaeffer says, since Christianity is really true, it involves the whole man, including his intellect and his creativity. What does this look like for us as Christians? Well, I want to encourage you, no non-Christians. Get to know people who don't know Jesus. Spend time in the places where they spend time. One of the most important lessons I ever learned on the mission field was to be a creature of habit. What do I mean by that? Wherever you get your haircut, go to the same place every single time. Get to know your hairdresser. Wherever you get your groceries, find out who's on the checkout. Look for that person every time you go there. Get to know their name. Get to know them. Wherever you, I don't know, whatever it is you guys do, do it, do it habitually. <laughs> get to know people. Get to know people so that you can share the gospel with them. Okay, the Old Testament was all about the come and see. God dwelled in His temple, and all the nations looked on as God's people met and worshipped Him there. In the New Testament, what did Jesus say? He said, go and tell. He said, you, I am now in you. I'm not among my people. God's Spirit is now in you, and you are now to go and tell. So this time just now is about equipping and encouraging and, and spurring you on and reigniting your affections for Jesus, to fall in love with Him afresh together and then go out and tell Him, tell Him all about Jesus. Let me just conclude this morning with some conclusions and cautions. As we think about what Paul's been saying here about God's sovereignty and salvation, about our gospel integrity and salvation, and about our creativity in evangelism. I want to caution us that we can lose sight of one of these things, or perhaps two of them. That's what happened in Scotland. That's why we're in the mess we're in, because the church lost sight at different times and in different ways, different aspects of this. Here we go. What happens if we lose sight of God's sovereignty? Okay, if we, if we just forget and land our evangelism on the mark between gospel integrity and creativity, what we do is we grow weary. We get really, really tired and burnt out. We try really, really hard to do really cool stuff. And it's amazing, and we get great pictures, and the website looks fantastic. Okay, but the problem is we forgot that God was sovereign, and we stopped praying. We're exhausted because we think it all depends on me. 
The sovereignty of God is not far removed doctrine. It is practical. Remember it. Rely on him in prayer and rest on him for the results. Equally, if we forget God's sovereignty, we can be prone to make effort where we really shouldn't. We stop thinking about things. We stop considering things. We just do what we've always done. We can put our resources into big flashy outreach events, and we cajole and twist people's arms to come. I was even hearing about a church that, that give away a car. You get a, you get a raffle ticket if you come to church and you can win a car. Come on. I mean, that is ridiculous. They're coming for a car. They're not coming to hear the gospel. Yes, they might hear the gospel, but they're not interested because they want the car. And when they didn't win the car, they go home and never come back. Equally, if we lose sight of our gospel integrity, if we're all about the sovereignty of God, God is sovereign. If we're all about creativity, but we lose sight of gospel integrity, what the church in Scotland have done is they watered down the message. We preach down. We preach short. I maybe have gone over time. I don't know. We preach short. We preach light. We preach easy. We preach what people want to hear. With what you win them is what you keep them. And generally, you don't keep them. We can be prone to embrace false doctrine, the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. It is horrible heresy, the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. All it is is an over-realized eschatology. It is an over-realized eschatology. What I mean by that is it's teaching people that they should think that all of the promises and privileges of heaven should be theirs now. And if they don't get them now, then something's not true about all of this. We can lose sight of what God is actually saying in His Word. The Anglican church, there are many good, solid Anglicans at home. Many good, solid, reformed, gospel-centered Anglicans. But unfortunately, the Anglican church in England has drifted far. They recently, the Archbishop of Canterbury recently appointed a man named Stephen Knott as the Archbishop's Secretary for Appointments. He's the guy that over thousands of bishops gets to appoint and approve who gets appointed where and who and who's the new, the new ministers. This is a man who is living in a same-sex marriage. This is a man who's married to another man. That, that's the Church of England. In our small town, there's, there's no other gospel-centered church. There's nobody else. But there are other churches. One this last week was promoting a pride rally that they were doing. The other church up north of us uh, just appointed a new minister and his husband. This is, this is where we're at. You guys are behind the curve, but it's coming. Don't lose sight of gospel integrity. Don't see successes in other places and think, we better get on that bandwagon because we're going to fall behind otherwise. Be faithful to God's Word. Have trust in God's Word. Have confidence in God's Word. And lastly, what happens if we lose sight of our creativity? What happens if we are all about God's sovereignty, we're, we're really faithful to the Word, but we forget to engage people? What we do is we allow massive barriers to build up between those out there and us in here. We become our own little group, our own little clique. We don't know anybody else. We don't do with anything else. We, we just do us, and it's great. We love each other, and that's great. That is not who God called us to be. Just preaching the gospel in a vacuum is not good enough. Paul 
I am absolutely sure, would not put up a sign in front of the church saying, we preach Christ crucified every Sunday at 6 p.m. Come if you feel like it. I don't think he would. You look in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, where's Paul? He's out in the marketplaces. He's out among the people. He's out here, there, and everywhere, getting beaten up, getting shipwrecked, getting all, all sorts of stuff. He's not comfortably with the Christians. Friends, as I bring this to a close, I want to encourage you. We, we are struggling in Scotland. There are no sound, there, well, there, are, there is one and a half small, sound, theological institutions that are equipping men for ministry. If we have 7,000 churches just to regain where we were 20 years ago, they're not coming from seminaries, and they shouldn't be coming from outside the country. Where they should be coming from is from within the church. Not ministers, as in pastors, but ministers of the gospel, as in you all, okay? Please, I want to caution you and encourage you, don't rest on your cultural gospel dividend that you have, where society around you is generally in favor of you, they're generally for you, they're generally happy with you being here. That won't last forever. And you might wake up one day like we have in Scotland and realize everyone hates you. The government hates you. Everyone is trying to stop you and realize that we forgot that God is sovereign in salvation. We forgot that God uses us. We forgot that we just have to make His Word and His gospel known, and He does the rest. So let me pray for you in that awesome task. Let's pray. Lord, I thank You that You have not abandoned us. You haven't called us out of darkness into Your light and then abandoned us. You've given us Your Spirit. You've given us Your Word. You've given us one another. Lord, I thank You for that glorious gospel. I thank You that You are a glorious God that we get to speak about. But Lord, I pray that You would in flicker into flames in us a, a passion for You, that we would wake up from this satanic lullaby and realize that we're, we're investing all of our time, money, and resources into what pleases us or, or what we think is going to produce results. Lord, would You wake us up? And Lord, I pray that You would encourage these beautiful believers here, that You would encourage them as their affections are stirred for You and as they are emboldened to share Jesus. Would You encourage them to see fruit that only You can bring? Lord, would You encourage them? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.